going to give this much airtime. For the record, if you see people holding signs near our property, they have nothing to do with Christ the King Community Church. If you engage them, you will enrage them. So I would encourage you to be kind and pray. And for the record, they do not represent the Jesus that I know. Let's talk about the Bible, okay? Uh, I went to the hospital last week. I got gloved and gowned up before I went into the intensive care unit, and as I got ready to push back the curtain, I heard this quiet, raspy voice from the other side singing a song. Our God is an awesome God, He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God, and I thought, that is a fairly amazing thing, considering the person who was singing lost his wife two weeks ago after a long battle with breast cancer and had a massive heart attack six days later. I just thought to myself, that, that is an amazing thing. I spend a lot of time in hospitals. I've discovered a truth in life, that pain brings out the best and the worst in people. In Monty's case, it brought out the best in him, but I've seen the worst come out of people when they're inflicted with pain. <laughs> I've seen really, really godly people face pain, and what comes out of their mouth is a, is a cloud of blue profanity that would make a sailor blush. Whenever that happens, all I can think of is the verse, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I'm thinking, there was a lot of cuss words inside of that heart just a couple of minutes ago. I've seen the worst come out in people, but I've also seen the best. And in that ICU unit, just hearing those words was such a blessing. Today we're going to talk about pain. We're going to talk about judgment. We're going to try and hold some of these things in tension. And I know for a fact, some of you are here today with broken hearts. And here's my plea to you. Hang with me all the way to the end. I promise you will find some hope. Even though we're walking through some of the heaviest, most controversial stuff in all of Scripture. The middle chapters of Revelation detail out 21 judgments that God unleashes against people who reject Him. Okay? And I'm going to underscore that. They come against people who reject him. The final seven are outlined in Revelation 15 and 16. And they can cause anxiety in the most fearless person because they're a future event that the Bible says is going to happen. Now, we can deny that and say, I don't think so. We can try and call God's bluff. But our Bible says this is ultimately what will happen at the end of the tribulation. In Revelation chapter 15, seven angels are given seven bowls and the contents are judgment and they're poured out on the earth at the end of this seven-year period that we learned about last week called the tribulation. The seven bowls of God's wrath include painful sores, the sea is turned to blood, rivers and springs are turned to blood. There's intense heat, darkness, drought, and an earthquake that's followed by an unbelievable hailstorm. For those of you that are biblically literate and you like to follow the Old Testament stuff, you notice the similarity to the plagues that happened in Egypt. I want to remind you why the plagues happened. It wasn't God just deciding to unleash anger against the earth. He was actually trying to create a way in which his people could be free. Let me say this again so you hear it over and over and over again. God's judgment comes against those who've rejected his love. Okay? Last week we learned it's actually possible to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior during this seven-year period known as the tribulation. But there was a catch, wasn't there? If you wait till then or if it's during that season, it will cost you your life. Literally. For those who reject Jesus, as difficult as this may be, there's judgment. Now, we're going we're gonna to walk through this together because when you read the judgments of Revelation, people start freaking out, right? 
Because this is the kind of math we do. We see all of the different judgments, and then we start looking around going, okay, is this going on right now? Like we see that people are inflicted with painful sores, and we start checking our children for pimples and boils, right? You know? We, we, we look at the weather, and it's just like, this is a really hot summer. There's a drought in Whatcom County. What's going on? Like, are we actually living through this stuff? I thought we were supposed to be gone, right? That's what your timeline said last week, Grant, right? We're supposed to be out of here. Why are we still here? It's really, really hot today, over 80 degrees. I don't know, <laughs> right? I listed some common responses to these future realities. One is panic, right? People just start freaking out. It's happening right now. For other people, it's fear. It's just like, I thought I got to go early. You know, I've been left behind. Ah, for some people, it's hyper planning. Right? They just go into hyper mode and they, I'm not talking about emergency preparedness. I think everybody should do that. No, I'm talking about people that are building escape pods or, 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 or digging a bunker in their backyard, right? They got to protect myself from the end times, okay? Now, I know we laugh about this kind of stuff, but it's true, okay? A couple from Christ the King sent me this. This actually came to their mailbox in the last couple of weeks. It says right here, your time arc service modules have returned. Okay, and here's Noah's Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, and for a small fee, you can buy your own time ark so that during the end times, you can vacate the premises. I went to their, I went to their website, adabase.info. You can vacate the premises early, avoid Armageddon, and meet Jesus halfway there in your own little space capsule. I can't make this stuff up, right? It says... Survival is not possible on this continent. You must evacuate. So I'll see you in South America. Let's go buy an alien spaceship and get out of here, right? Like some people go into like hyper planning mode. Other people, for other people, we just look at this stuff and go, nah, and we go into denial. This isn't going to happen. This is just God trying to scare people. People respond to the future in the same way they respond to pain. It brings out the best and the worst. So I'm reading along in Revelation 15. It's just introducing the fact that these seven judgments are coming against the people of the earth who have rejected God. And there's this unlikely but godly response to these future realities. And it's not panic and it's not fear. It's worship. Ryan actually read these words. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. I see that worship song, and my first question is, who is singing? The Bible tells us. Scripture says, and I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire. Standing by the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name, and they held harps given to them by God, and they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Who is singing this beautiful worship course? Who is actually worshiping in the midst of all of this pain and judgment? The Bible tells us. It's the ones who came out of the tribulation and endured the most pain. These are believers who learned that in the midst of all of the brokenness, that worshiping God in the middle of that pain puts the focus in the correct place. I mean, when a, when a believer can praise God in the middle of crisis and pain, I'll tell you something, the world notices. When we can actually walk through it somehow and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, even when our hearts are broken the world noticed. So we're going to answer a tough question today. How do you worship in the middle of devastation? 
I, I know. I, I just look around because I've been like, I don't live with my head in the sand. There are a lot of broken hearts here today. How do you worship in the middle of that? How do you put God in the center of that? Well, let me tell you where it starts. You worship in the middle of devastation when you hold a correct view of God. Another way to say it is when you hold a high view of God. We've been learning this in Revelation 1 through 15, right? The first 15 chapters have been screaming truth at us. Truth number one, God is sovereign over all, even when life doesn't make sense. God is sovereign. He rules over the past, present, and future. Nothing escapes Him. Nothing happens without Him knowing. He's in complete control of all things at all times in every single way. And when life is coming apart at the seams, you can either be a victim of the brokenness or you can ally yourself with the one that you believe holds everything together. You have to make a choice. In those moments of devastation, God is either your most convenient enemy or He's your most powerful ally. And you get to choose. God is sovereign over all. Secondly, God is worshipped above all. Do you remember the centrality of the throne in the first three chapters, right? Jesus is the genuine article. So he, he just, he begs us, put me in the center of your pain. Last week we heard this, this phrase, that we will follow the lamb wherever he goes, which means we don't chase imposters. I got some interesting internet traffic this past week over this statement. Because we know the Christ, we have no need to fear and Antichrist. Can I get an amen from 1115? We don't need, there's no fear there. Thirdly, God's perfect in all of his ways, even when his ways are mysterious and often confusing. When you hold a view that God is perfect, you trust in him and in his promise because he says that he will make all things work together for good. Now, don't use that to put a band-aid on somebody's bullet hole. Don't turn that into a bumper sticker. Because we say that, right? God's going to work everything for good. When you're brokenhearted, that doesn't help. In fact, I would, I, I would implore you as the family of Christ the King, don't ever say the first part of that verse unless you're willing to read the whole thing. Because there is a promise there. God will work all things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. If you love him, you can count that somehow, even though it may seem like the most mysterious thought to you right now, that somehow out of the brokenness and the devastation of your heart, that God can somehow put those things back together again. And it may take years, but one day you'll be able to look back and say, I don't know how he did it. But out of the darkest moment of my life, God made something good. Even in intense pain, worship just bubbles out, uh, out of the heart of these people. Where does that come from? It comes from a belief that they have that God is just in all of his judgments. Okay, now some of you are like, okay, time out, Grant. Slow down, preacher. You're telling me you're okay with this? God's unleashing judgment and anger against a group of people who are still here, these innocent little human beings. You're telling me you're okay with that? So I'm standing in line at a coffee shop this past week. I turn to the guy behind me and say, I'll buy your coffee if you answer a question. I haven't done that for about nine months because when I talk about doing that, people from Christ the King line up behind me because they're too cheap to buy their own coffee. And they start driving me nuts. I lose all my great opportunities. I haven't done it in months. Months and months and months. But I'm standing over here, and there's a guy by me. I'm like, oh, well, let's go for it, right? 
I said, you know, I'll, I'll buy your coffee if you answer a question. He's like, sure, free coffee. What's the question? I said, can you fill in the blank for me? God has blank. He didn't even blank. He said, anger issues. <laughs> Isn't that the way people think, though? Right? God's angry. I grew up believing God was either sad or mad 100% of the time. God's angry at sin. He's angry at sinners. He's angry at me when I get it wrong. He's completely dissatisfied when I even try to get it right. He's angry. And in our estimation, we're a little put off when we read the words of the angel who has the audacity to say this. After these judgments are coming out, again, against people who've rejected God, the angel says this. You are just in these judgments, O Holy One. You who are and who were. They've shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you've given them blood to drink as they deserved. And I heard the altar respond, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. And some of us are like, what? How could that kind of judgment be justified? How can a God that claims to be loving unleash this kind of pain on his own creation? That's a tough question. Unless you're a parent and you already know the answer, don't you? If you're a parent, you're like, I already know this. You understand as a parent that there's a time when you have to say, enough. Enough. You know, I have no filter. I am so exhausted. I'm going to get up on this soapbox just because I can't. If you're a parent and you never used the word enough, that's the reason why the lunatics are running your asylum. I know, I know, I know. You're just like, no, no, no. We don't want to put any boundaries around these narcissistic little savages. We think it's act <laughs> we think it's going to work out. It's okay. They can do whatever they want to. We don't care. They can use a human being as a monkey, Jim. We can take them to movies. I mean, we can do all this stuff. They're fine. They're fine. They're fine. They're not fine. <laughs> they need someone to love them enough to say, enough, enough. You don't get to strangle your sister. Enough. You don't get to throw that at your teacher. Enough. See, that's the, that's the thing, right? Let me just say it, okay? If you don't ever say enough, you're no longer loving, you're enabling. You're enabling. Every loving parent knows there's a part of love that's justice. There's a time to say it's done. I mean, as a kid, my parents would open the door for me to enter into the graciousness of their love. They would say, Grant, we're providing co correction for you. Walk through this door and you'll get to experience grace and mercy. And I, in my obstinate little heart, would say, I'm not, you can't make me. You're not the boss of me. So another door opens. <laughs> the door of mercy closed. The door of consequences opened. And as much as I didn't like it, I look back now and I'm just like, my mom and dad, you know, all these years ago when I'm 12 years old, I'm like, you're impeding on my freedom and you're stifling my creativity and you're not letting me do all this. All these years later, I look back at Ernie and Shirley and I'm like, they were geniuses. <laughs> Why? Because every once in a while they'd say, hey, enough. There's a time when you have to say it's done. The opportunity for grace is closed, and now there's got to be a consequence. Some of us are still offended. It's just like, how can God do that to his own people? I'll ask you the question. Have you read Revelation 15 and 16? Are you sure he's doing it to his people, or his people are bringing this on themselves? 
God's loving towards all of his creation, but my Bible says that man rejects his love. I mean, it happens over and over again, right? Noah and the ark, Tower of Babel, same cycle, over and over and over again. Let me read to you Revelation 16, verse 9. They were seared by the intense heat. They cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify Him. I mean, even in this moment, even in His judgment, God has a door open for people to enter into His grace and mercy, but they refuse. Revelation 16, verse 10. People nod their tongues in agony, curse the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. Let me hear, I want you to hear that again. They refused to repent of what they had done. Let me underscore two words. They refused. In order to worship in the middle of devastation, you have to have a high view of God. You have to. But that's not it. That's only half of it. If you're going to worship in the midst of the worst pain of your life, not only do you have to have a high view of God, that you trust Him, that you believe in Him, no matter how hard it is, you also have to have a humble view of humanity. I'll make it personal. You have to have a low view of yourself. We don't like this, right? Because we like to wear, I'd like to have a t-shirt that says, I'm a good person. We'd all, we'd all buy that shirt. We, I'm a good person. We're offended when the Bible says there's no one righteous, not even one, whether you're wearing a t-shirt or not. <laughs> and we're just like, no, no, I'm a good person. And our Bible keeps saying, not good enough. There's only one good. His name is Jesus. Amen. Now, if you're with Jesus, there's something redemptive about you, but it's only when you're with him that that works. You know, and I hear that stuff, and I'm just kind of like, no, 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 I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a good person, and I'd love to be able to argue with people that I'm a good and righteous person. Here's my issue. I know me. You know you? I know what I think and how I act in those dark corners of my soul. I know for a fact I will choose me over God in a millisecond if you give me the right, if you give me the right set of circumstances and enough pressure. I know how my heart works, and I don't like it when my Bible calls me out on that. I don't like Mark chapter 7. The Bible says, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, evil, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evil come from inside and defile a person. I mean, I read that, I'm like, ah. Have you ever noticed that when we don't like certain words that God attributes to sin, that we like to change it? We change the language or rename it to make ourselves feel better, right? It's not adultery, it's a one-night stand, right? It's not theft, I'm just borrowing from my boss without permission because I'll put it back sometime in 2019, right? <laughs> so if it bothered you when I said theft, murder, adultery, and all the rest of it, um, I'll make it easier for you. If you know you, this is basically how it goes. If you've ever had a lustful thought, if you've ever borrowed something that wasn't yours, if you've ever chased a dollar to increase your status, if you've ever deceived someone to make yourself look better or slammed somebody just because you could, if you've ever told an off-color joke or lived like you were God's gift to the human race or just every once in a while you did something stupid, welcome to Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. It's glad to have, I'm so glad to have company. 
in Mark 7. I don't like the verse that says, Jeremiah, the heart's deceitful above all things beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart, examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. I don't like that kind of stuff in my face because it's true. I know me. So, in a moment of authenticity and transparency, let me tell you a few things about me, and then you can decide whether or not you still want to come to church here. <laughs> I am naturally stubborn. I have lectured the king of the universe about how he needs to get with my plan so that my life will be easier. I know none of you have ever done that because you're the holy people of the sleep-in service, right? <laughs> and you're not relating with me. You're just like, it's okay, Grant, go ahead, confess your stuff. We're, we're, we're here for you, right? <laughs> I'm naturally stubborn. I'll tell you something else about me. I'm easily sinful. I don't even have to work hard at it. I, I just kind of slide right into it. I mean, I don't even have to try to get it wrong. It's just deep down inside and it just bubbles out every once in a while, right? I'll tell you something else about me. I'm prone to pride. I actually believe I can share the throne of my life with the King of Kings. I think Jesus will make room for me. And every once in a while, I just give him the hip and knock him off. I'm like, right, here I am. The king of my own universe. Tell you all something about me. I'm completely deceived because I actually think I can make it on my own. I actually have moments where I'm like, I think this is about me. I think I can do whatever I want. I think God's job is to slap me a high five on the way into heaven, grade my sin on a curve, and just sit at my feet and say, oh, how wonderful you are, you beautiful little boy. You know what that is? That's when you have a high view of yourself and a low view of God. If you're going to worship with a broken heart, you have to have a high view of God and a low view of yourself. Amen. You know what a low view of yourself says? And I will say this with as much sincerity as I can and as vulnerably as I can. If you want to know my testimony in one sentence, it would be this. The only thing that's good in me, it's Jesus. Amen. It's it. It's it. Now, when you have a high view of God and a low view of yourself, it allows you to be able to say, Jesus is my hope. Jesus is my Savior. He's my Lord, my forgiver, my mercy. He is my judge. I can actually choke that out as well. He's my past, my present, my future. He's any little piece of humility that there may be, and he's stubborn in his pursuit of me. And he is the one that loves me enough to warn me, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he's actually going to reap. Jesus is the one who acknowledges my broken humanity and loves me with a love that I don't understand, but that is able to hold in perfect tension both love and justice. Amen. Both sides. I don't understand why people don't respond to God's judgment until I think about it for a second, and then I realize something. Most people don't respond to God's kindness. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to the repentance. So today, here's the simple. There's a door of grace and mercy still open. Why would you not walk through that knowing that ultimately that door will close and this door will open and there will be a different kind of justice? The book of Revelation is a simple message. 
Meet Jesus in his kindness before you meet him in his judgment. Just meet him in his kindness. Revelation 16, it's amazing to me. Humanity refuses to surrender to God, and there's a result. Some of you have been waiting for this word for the entire series. The result is Armageddon. Oh, boy. Armageddon is described in Scripture as a place where the ultimate conflict takes place. I want you to notice something about this. In Armageddon, there are no good guys. It's evil versus evil, human versus human, unbelievable bloodshed, and there's no winner because Satan loves bloodshed. The Bible says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's a great description of what happens at Armageddon, this place known as the Valley of Megiddo, the Valley of Decision, where all of humanity essentially converges and human beings basically annihilate each other. So last year we're in Israel and we're standing up on the top of Mount Carmel, the place where God comes and and empowers a, a broken, tired little prophet take on 400 prophets of Baal, and God has a barbecue, and it's an amazing story. And we're up on the top of that mountain, and then our guide, Sam, says, hey, do me a favor, just turn around and, and, and look at what's behind you. Let me show you what was behind us. Just, you see that panorama? That's the valley of Megiddo, where the Bible says humanity will come together to decimate themselves. Napoleon Okay, short little man, but a military genius says, all the armies of the world can maneuver their forces on that vast plain. There's no place on earth more suited for war than this place. It's the most natural battleground on earth. And you read Revelation and you have to say it out loud because it's so startling at this moment in future history. Humanity gets what it deserves. Now before you freak out, can I tell you what I love about Jesus? He gives me what I don't deserve. I rejected him for years, and he chased me. I pushed away every time he attempted to love me in a way that I could understand. I pushed him away. I rejected him, and he pursued me with a dogged determination that absolutely melts my heart to this point. He chased me to a cross until I was so exhausted I couldn't run anymore, and I came to my senses just like the prodigal son and said, God, I have no There is nothing in me that deserves the door of grace and mercy being opened. But I'm going to walk through it because I want to meet you in your grace. I don't want to meet you in your judgment. So what's the only fitting outcome to a correct view of God and a humble view of humanity? How do you you worship God when your heart is broken? There's only one way. You have a high view of God even when it's hard, and a low view of yourself. And in between that is this beautiful little thing called surrender. So let me just tell you about my week. I know people think that when you're a pastor, that God somehow sprays you with spiritual Teflon so that nothing, like nothing sticks to you. The last couple of weeks have just been a, a flat-out sprint. I've spent more time in the intensive care unit than I have either in my office or my bed. I've seen tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. I've seen suicide after suicide after suicide. I've seen broken situations. 
And I actually try to practice what I preach. So I've told you guys, whenever you're broken in those moments, you have to step away. You actually have to step away from the treadmill of your life and you have to go to God and you have to lay it out in front of Him. You basically have to have the courage to say, I can't do this. So I stepped away. Friday's my day off. And when I, when I need to get just put back together again, I work in my backyard. I don't know what you do, but that's what I do. I like to putter in my backyard. I, li- I like to, to move things around. I, I have this kind of like a little garden thing. I like to just relocate plants because I can, and when I can move them, they don't complain. So I'm like, pick, I'm digging up a fern, you know, and I'm going to take it, I'm going to slam it in the ground over here, I'm going to water it, you know, and you're going to take it because the plants don't talk back. They just, you know, they how, how do you, I, I don't know how you do an impersonation of a plant, right? He's a, <laughs> so I'm moving stuff around and I'm outside and, and I'm one second I'm angry and the next second I'm crying and my wife is like bringing me cold drinks going you okay so I'm like right I'm like <laughs> and then we got the call about Sophia and that one just did me in God, I don't get it. So I'm out in my backyard, and I'm like, I don't know where to put this stuff. And I'm rolling up the hose because it just drowned my plant. And I, I'm rolling up the hose, and I'm, I realize I'm rolling it up really fast on one of those hose reels because I'm I just all this stuff is there. And it's like snaking across the yard, and it comes right up by the side. And it flips over, and the metal end comes and tags me right on the chin. See, don't you love these new screens? Because there's the bruise right there. Yay, high definition. You can see my wrinkles. That's awesome. That's great. Right? <laughs> Gray hair right here. There you go. It tags me, and it knocked me down. And I end up sitting on the side of my little deck there, hiding from my family, because they're like around the corner. And I had a human moment. I didn't swear. I thought about it. But I said, enough, God. Enough. It's just too much. And I'm just one of the ones. I just get to walk alongside of people. I'm not actually living in their pain. I'm just walking with them. Enough. I don't know what kind of God you serve. But the Jesus that I love and serve, apparently he likes to sit down beside broken-hearted people in Linden. And I felt his arm kind of just wrap around my shoulder. And he reminded me why he hasn't said enough yet. My Bible says God is not willing any should perish. You know what I'm so thankful for today? I'm so thankful that God didn't close the door of grace and mercy before I had an opportunity to run through it. How about you? You know why he hasn't said enough yet? Because maybe he's waiting for you. 
come through the gate of grace and mercy so that you don't have to meet him when you go through the door of judgment. Is that honest enough for everybody? We okay with that, right? You know what I love about this place? Pastors get to be people too. And I know some of you are here right now and your hearts are broken and you're just saying, God, enough. Can I tell you why he hasn't said enough yet? It's because he loves people so much. And in the meantime, he says, I know this hurts, but this is how you get through it. You have to have a high view of God and a low view of yourself. You put those things together and love and justice come into perfect alignment. And then you can say, I don't know how God talks to you guys, but for some reason when it comes to Laurel and I, when we get right to the bottom of it and have nowhere else to go, he gives us old songs. I don't know why. I love all of our new stuff, but for some reason I sing old songs. So I'm on the back step, trying to be like my friend Monty, who was singing in ICU. And I croaked it out as best I could. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Make me Savior, completely thine. Fill me with thy love and power so that I can know that thou art mine. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to be my precious Savior. I surrender all. If your heart's broken today, Jesus would say, have a high view of me and a low view of yourself. And I'll meet you in the middle with love and justice. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, I pray today for the battle-worn and the weary, the broken-hearted, the shattered. And Lord, I ask for a miracle in their hearts, a miracle to believe that they can have a high view of God and a humble view of themselves. Lord, I think the most difficult question we have is why? Why? Lord, I pray today that for all of those of us who may be a little stuck in the why, that we would exchange the why for a who. And then we would look to Jesus, worship Jesus, cling to Jesus, knowing that he will carry us through the valley of the shadow of death. So Father, we leave today hopeful, knowing that you are deserving of a high view. Father, may that come from a low, humble view of ourselves where we truly can declare, I need a Savior today. God, I pray for any in this room who don't know Jesus as Savior, and I pray today they would walk through the door of grace and mercy. 
Lord, not because they fear judgment, but because they love you. So, Father, I thank you that we can turn to you in this moment, and we thank you that your response is grace, mercy, love, and hope. So, God, for the broken heart, would you carry them this week as they surrender all to you? I pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said,